Blog Talk Radio. Do you believe that death is the end? Or is it just a new beginning? Does our soul continue to evolve? Or is it buried six feet under? Spiritual encounters and unexplained phenomena have intrigued people for centuries. But what if you could find the answer? Right here, right here, right now. Right now. Welcome to Heavenly Encounters. Heavenly Encounters. Where we will talk with everyday people who have had extraordinary experiences and gifted souls that see beyond the veil. Beyond the veil. Together. We'll diminish our fear of death, explore our soul's evolution, and soften the crippling grief that accompanies loss. Heavenly Encounters. You, our listeners, will discover a new world. A new world. A fresh reality. A fresh reality. Just a whisper away. Heavenly Encounters. So take a deep breath and join us on this fascinating adventure. This is Heavenly Encounters. Heavenly Encounters. A journey to the other side. Heavenly Encounters. Welcome to Heavenly Encounters, a journey to the other side. I am your host, Mary Elizabeth, broadcasting from Chicago, Illinois. And I am your co-host, Janice, broadcasting live from St. Louis, Missouri. Well, we are shaking things up tonight. Not only will we be talking to a guest that has had three near-death experiences, but he's going to be giving us some amazing tools and how to be happier in the present. But first, I have to say, Janice, you are like a spiritual master, an Egyptian goddess sitting in her temple. Me, on the other hand, for the last 15 years, I've been somewhat of a guinea pig doing radio. (laughs) And I've got to say, it's happened again. Yesterday's events, which left me fit to be tied, aligned perfectly with today's show. I don't know how in the world that happens. I co-host another show, and the same thing happens every single show. I almost have to plan on it. That is a riot. That is an absolute so. riot. So what was this major, major energetic whatever, boo-boo? Well, we're, we're going to talk about it in the course of the interview. Uh, my husband, Joe, is also going to be on. He's going to be another guinea pig, you know, along with me. But oh, there very is a good. Crazy, crazy energy going on, and I think these spiritual lessons are so important right now to keep us in that kind of centered in joy and gratitude and happiness and really live an extraordinary life no matter what is going on in the world around us. Well, and they say a lot of times, too, especially now during this really major transition, it's like if you look at two big, huge balls of energy. And one mm-hmm. is just filled with goodness and light, you know, and how things just right. fall into place. And another one is just chaotic. It's not necessarily bad or negative. It's just chaotic. And most right. people today have both of them in their life. So you go to do something and everything falls into place and you just wonder, oh, my God, I'm just, I must be flowing. And then you go out to your car and you have two flat tires. Right, right. But it's also you know, how, how we actually react to it. We had three incidents yesterday, which one would have been enough. But two of them I was able to actually stand back and actually be kind of an observer 
and see kind of what's going on, not get myself kind of involved in it. You know, it kind of goes back to that quote, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys. Now, the third one directly did involve me and my husband. And, you know, it wasn't fun. I wasn't able to be that observer. I wasn't able to be this wonderful spiritual person that has the right reaction. I had all the wrong reactions. So that's why I'm so excited about our guest tonight. They'll actually really walk us through a lot of this. But our guest tonight is Robert Kopecki. He is the author of How to Survive Life and Death, A Guide for Happiness in This World and Beyond. An Emmy-nominated art director for television, Robert had three near-death experiences and shares what lives on the other side of our fears about dying and living. He will talk about the three key ingredients to living a spectacularly happy life. Robert, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Mary. It's really nice to be here. All the way from Brooklyn. All <laughs> the way from Brooklyn, it. that's right. Yeah. Uh, Hi, Janice. Hi, how are you doing, Robert? I'm just fine, thanks very much. It's wonderful to be here. So, oh, we're Absolutely. so happy Well, thank you so us. much for being here. So let's start from the beginning. Most people don't even have one near-death experience, but you have had three. Why so many cosmic two-by-fours, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't recommend it to anybody else. It's not the best way to attain self-realization. No. I don't think there are better ways probably. It just happens to be the path that I had to take. You know, I, I was uh, particularly stubborn maybe. I'm not sure mm-hmm. because my first, uh, really all three of them didn't really do the trick. I mean, <laughs> they didn't really turn me around. It took kind of a, a, a an ultimate uh, dark night of the soul, so to speak, when mm-hmm. all of these experiences kind of crystallized in me. And I really so why did you put changed these to direction the side? in my life, you know. I'm sorry? Right. I'm sorry. I mean, so why did you put to, push these experiences to the side? I mean, you kind of ignored them until, like you said, that last big one kind of happened. Yeah, I think that it's, I think that it's probably pretty typical with us and for a lot of things that we might be unsure or embarrassed about you know if we're dealing in a material kind of an egoic world Mm -hmm. where we worry about what people think of us and uh you know that my first uh, near-death experience was a car accident was a single car accident and i didn't uh you know i immediately after um after i got back home from the hospital I was really worrying about what people would think and and uh, how I would explain it and what I would do about the car and you know all that kind of stuff. Right? <laughs> so it, it, regular life kind of grabbed me by the throat right, again, right. and I was off and running in sort of an egoic mindset, you know. Right. So what actually so. happened? I mean, you weren't in a car accident. Did you leave your body? Did you go to heaven? What actually occurred? Yeah, the the uh, the first one was was a kind of the classic out of body experience where mm-hmm. I had a, an equip, equipment malfunction and I ran into a telephone pole, and the very next instant, I found myself essentially at the top of the telephone pole, looking down mm-hmm. at the the scene, and uh, you know reality becomes very vivid. There were moths flying around the uh, the. It was there were moths flying around the street light and stuff, and I looked down into other people's, into people's yards and saw their lights turning on as they came out to investigate the noise and stuff like that. And um, I looked down and I saw myself hanging out of the car. I'd broken the windshield and the steering wheel, and uh, I watched as an ambulance pulled up and I kind of eavesdropped on people. I 
tried to communicate to people unsuccessfully. And uh, um, then I was sort of um, shepherded off into what I can only describe as sort of a warm gray cotton wool cloud that ended up with me in a place that was very pastoral, very pleasant, outdoors, green and lovely, and being kind of interviewed, you know, being uh, having a conversation. I don't remember the personages, you know, like distinctly uh, in, right. in this experience, but I do remember that there were important things being discussed and hashed out, and I guess conceivably they were arrangements for... Uh, you know, me coming back and what I was going to have to do eventually. But I must not have learned the lesson very well because, like I said, I came back uh, I came back to consciousness in, in this world, as it were, about 20 hours later mm-hmm. and uh, was uh, just kind of back in my normal life. Right. But I did yeah. have the experience of being a spirit outside of this body, and so I, at, at least some level, and a level that I understand, uh, very well now, am a spiritual entity who's inhabiting this body, you know. Right. But it's just funny to me that you get kicked out of your body, you're watching all of this, you're realizing, wow, maybe I am a spiritual being, and then you're worried about, gee, how am I going to get my car fixed? <laughs> <laughs> I even went back a few days later and looked at the neighborhood to to look behind the hedges and make sure right. that things were the way I'd seen them from the top of the telephone pole, and they were. Wow. Hmm. Uh, but I just kind of took that. I just kind of tucked that, uh, you know, under my vest and, and went on with my life. Okay. Well, did dying seem familiar, like you had been there before? Yes. It was quite comfortable. It was very. It was a very easy transition. Of course, I didn't see it coming. I didn't sit and suffer for a long time with with a uh, with an illness or something like that, you know, like some people have to do. Um, right. It was sudden and unexpected, but it was very comfortable, and I I had the experience of essentially uh, weightlessness. The way my mind worked was different. I didn't have sort of um, sequential thought that was demanding and judgmental. I felt a, more of a like a part of holistic intelligence, as it were. You know, very mm-hmm. very easy with my um, my thoughts, as though. They were all around me rather than being generated in my own head. Hmm. And uh, I was very, very comfortable. Did you want to come back? You know, I don't, in that experience, I didn't really uh, have, I'm not cognizant of that. I didn't didn't consciously consider that in that experience. I did in my third experience. That's where that really came in. Um, but you know, when you have three to compare to each other, it's, <laughs> yep. it's not really a <laughs> right, right, a good sign. Um, well, when you've had, you know, one of the things you said that your near-death experiences pointed to is three simple things: you know, expression, evolution, and love. How can can you tell us a little bit about each one and why it's so important in our life? Yeah, well, the the expression aspect of it is that you know, I, I believe that that consciousness is, in a sense, God, and that we share consciousness in this world, that it enlivens and animates everything, and that everything that we see in this world and beyond this world has consciousness and is an expression of it. In that sense, we're all like a little piece or expression of God, as it were. And so our, 
you know, our effort is to is to uh, discover what that is, right? I mean, to remove the obstacles to love in our life and to understand ourselves as being eternal beings that have purpose and through those two things to find the, the means to express ourselves in the way that comes to us naturally and, and is a uh, is a quality of our authentic self, the, the self that doesn't depend on what other people think or what I'm supposed to look like or what I'm supposed to be in any way. Right. Right. Uh, just simply what I am and what comes forth from me. <laughs> you know? well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and uh, and then the evolution is that we're all part of this evolution. You know, there's a spiritual evolution going on here. When when I was a kid, nobody was uh, uh, scarcely aware of any of this sort of thing. People who talked about uh, the kind of um, subject matter that we're discussing or that so many people discuss all the time now were considered uh, weirdos, you know. They were, right. It was all very esoteric. I mean, my mom was uh, considered a crackpot for uh, recycling Beer cans. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely, I mean, it definitely was much, much different back then. But I found with myself, I was reading books like The Reincarnation of Peter Proud. You know, I love right. Mary Poppins because I love the magic. I think, though, right. a lot of us were drawn to those type of things but really had no idea at the time yes. how it yeah. would relate to, you know, Right. I had an older brother and sister, so I read, uh, oddly, a lot of existentialism when I was a child. <laughs> And then Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut became my favorite uh, author. Uh, Billy mm-hmm. Pilgrim became Unstuck in Time. This is my favorite opening line to a book from Slaughterhouse Five. And in a in a way, that kind of understanding of the magic of the world, magical realism too, became uh, important to me when I was a kid. And I, you know, I had a rich fantasy life. I had a difficult childhood. Yeah. And so imagination became a big, big part of it. <clears throat> Right. Um, So the the evolution aspect of it is pretty simple, uh, that there is, uh, I think, individually uh, spiritual evolution going on within each of us through multiple lifetimes, that we are heading towards uh, something, a reunification, if it's that, but hopefully it entails our ability to express this thing that I'm talking about, whatever it is, Mm-hmm. You can express better than anybody else, and on the uh, on a collective scale, we are evolving too. And at times, you know, in this world, I think and always has looks kind of like a race, kind of a like a race between right. the egoic, the egoic material world, and what's what we're really what our real potential is spiritually. Right. So what happens if you have, you know, there's so many people that have so much greed and selfishness and they are focused, you know, so much on the material world, a bigger house, a better car, whatever it is. What happens to those souls that really don't evolve? You know, I'm not really certain. I don't, uh, I'm not a near-death experiencer who went on to all kinds of levels and learned all Mm -hmm. kinds of, uh, had all kinds of lessons. Um, there are other people who uh, had experiences along those lines, um, but, but I'm not one of them. What I was right. given was a sense of what is eternal. And so, 
what I know is that if those people don't remove the obstacles to love and understand or come to an understanding of their oneness with everybody, you know, where all of our mm-hmm. distinctions kind of dissolve and we recognize ourselves as being each other in in, in a very powerful way, uh, then they... And my belief is that they will have to kind of like recycle through to get these lessons again, whatever they need to be able to overcome the aspects of the sensory world. I don't know how many other worlds we live in or, you know, what they might mm-hmm. entail of, but this is a sensory world. You know, we're here to experience right. uh, human life, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's talk about the, the first key that you have to life, which is so important, and that is radical kindness. How do you define that? Yeah, those are my tips for happiness, right? And Mm -hmm. radical kindness is the first one. Well, I talk a lot about open-heartedness, and and, and it's an inference to this kind of technology of the heart or the the heart as an alternative mind. And I believe that the heart, in my experience, has been the thing that connects me to what I experienced in my near-death experiences, you know, that it's the... It's the means through which I'm connected to uh, the energies of this world and beyond. Um, my mind is largely made up of my brain, which is a thinking organ. And like a shark, mm-hmm. it continues moving all the time, and so it's, you know, it's part of being human. Um, kindness is part of open-heartedness. Open-heartedness is the key to being able to operate with this sort of technology of the heart. And I like to present a radical kindness as a challenge to people um, mm-hmm. because it's going to change their lives if they haven't ever tried it before. And it really is just this simple, that all day long, no matter where you are or what you're doing or who you're dealing with, whether they're the high and mighty or the simplest people in the simplest positions, you are as authentically open-hearted and kind to them as you possibly can be without being sarcastic or gossipy or, you know, some right, of the things that get mistaken. Right. And, and uh, you engage them with love in your eyes, and then you just open-heartedly are real and kind to them. And if you've never tried it consciously, really made an effort of that, for, say, an entire day or something, try it, and it will change your life dramatically. It really will. You'll be amazed that you're instantly part of this apparent kind of conspiracy, right, of, of people with this <laughs> similar energy. They're, they're out there waiting for you to get it. Right, <laughs> you know, that's right. what, that was my experience. Suddenly I would, I would uh, turn and there would be somebody smiling at me, and they would know just what I needed. And they would be there to help me in the same way I would be there to help them. And from that point on, that I would be there to help anyone. And that fabric that underlies this world is such a beautiful and powerful thing that it really will alter your entire perception of reality. It will change your reality to be as nice to people as you can be. Well, it almost seems like it gets you into the flow of life. And I think you return. You actually refer to it as kind of like skinny dipping in the river of love. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I you know, I my experience in the in, the, in each of these uh, each of these instances was that the, that love was a tangible sort of field. You know, mm-hmm. 
that love was really underneath it all, that it was there. And in a similar way as you, we experience a field of gravity or the field of electromagnetism or something, it's, you know, it's not, it's not apparent, it's not directly visible, but it is in the way it manifests itself and the way it bubbles up and, and holds together everything of great beauty and importance in your life, you know? Right. So, um, so yeah, when we are radically kind to people, we're engaging into that field of love, and sort of nothing can go too terribly wrong, you know? That's, to me, that's kind of like where faith lives. When I'm able to uh, release myself to that, I'm kind of jumping ahead a couple tips for happiness. But then I experience uh, the field of love in my life, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like when everything is going, you know, seems to be going right when we're in that flow, it's very easy. I shouldn't say very easy, but, you know, kindness is somewhat easier. It's when sometimes we get those obstacles that are thrown in our way that might just kind of catch us off guard. And that's why, actually, I do want to bring on my husband, Joe. We've had kind of an incident that has happened over the last, you know, really the last week. Uh And I'd like to have him kind of talk about it. And I'll talk about what my reaction uh, to this was. And it wasn't kindness, um, which I knew was not the right reaction. uh, But, you know, guilty as charged. And then I'll have you walk him kind of through the steps as well of how important it is uh, for kindness as well as forgiveness. So, Joe, are you on the line? Hello. There you are. Well, first, let me set up. Can you hear me? I think, yes. Joe? Yes. Okay, first let me kind of set up the scenario. We live in a little, like, little beach community. Uh, we're all kind of on top of each other. You know, we've got probably 20 kids in the neighborhood running through all the yards and you know, it really is kind of somewhat of a close-knit community. My husband was actually painting a house, a big three-story house uh, that was in the corner right on the water, and we had an issue with a neighbor that was directly right next to it. So, Joe, I'll let you take it from there. Okay. Well, hi, everybody. Thank you. Um, hi, Joe. It, it's hard to describe because of the emotions that I go through, that as I was painting this house, the neighbor next door um, actually called the police on me for walking through the yard with uh, ladders and drop cloths. And I really thought he was kidding when he said, you know, don't use my yard. And then he did call the police, and it was just so ridiculous to me. I never did anything to him or his wife. And just, it, well, the, prior to that just incident of him calling the police, it started raining on me. I mean, literally, it had a black cloud over my head. And started raining, and there was other neighbors that kind of heard me just look up at the clouds and say, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, and um, I yelled over at them, is it raining over there? And they're like, no, it's only drizzling here. And then <laughs> I'm running all these drop cloths and ladders and drills and things into the garage. And like Mary says, there there's no, like, um, variance of 5 feet, 10 feet. They're lot to lot. So I was using this guy's yard that he's renting, and he called the police on me. And, um, you know, the police said, well, you can't use his yard. You'll have to find another means of painting that side of the house. I go, it's not his yard. And that changed the story. So now they went in and talked to him, got the landlord's number, and the landlord said I could use the house. So I'm finishing up the house. I, 
another neighbor comes over on a bicycle, and he pulls up right next to the ladder I'm working at. I walk down, and there happened to be the neighbor's bench. Well, I sat on the bench, and that's private property. And believe it or not, he called the police on me again because I was actually sitting on the bench that it was on the property that he rented. And, I mean, it just pulled all the emotions out of me of anger. And um, I really didn't like that, and I really have a hard time letting go and just say, hey, well, that's fine, you know. Uh, but it, it really turned into a bad situation because I am sh- I'm the nicest guy I'll help out anybody. But when you step on me the wrong way, I got a short fuse, and I just I get lit up like a firecracker. I'd rather say, instead of a firecracker, like an M80. <laughs> <laughs> and my reaction was the same one. At first it was, you know what, he's got some problems. You know, just realize that. Just try to be nice to him. Get out of his way. Don't say anything. But the second time, honestly, I wanted to kick his ass. I was ticked <laughs> off. And I know that I know at the time it was not the right reaction. And the police are like, no, you probably shouldn't say anything because he's trying to apologize. I'm so sorry. It's like, sorry for what? You made a choice. You're not sorry about anything. So and it, Who said he's sorry? Oh, he did to me. Springer? Yeah. Well, don't say that, but yes. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so and let's, let's kind of back up. In that situation, obviously, let's deal with kindness. <laughs> how, how do you deal with that situation in kindness? Yeah, well, if you're if if you're walking around with kindness out in front of you, like I like I'm suggesting, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is a difficult thing to do all the time, but you know you try it as best as you possibly can. You you actually kind of alter the 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 field, the energy of every every situation that you're in. Okay. So it's conceivable that if you really have if you're really open hearted and really kind, that. Uh, that your actual circumstances can can be altered a little bit. Now, that's pretty subtle. So let's talk about the actual guy and his need to react to you being in the backyard. That's my second tip, right? Radical forgiveness. Actually, right. this is all exactly. my tips are in here. Radical, radical kindness, radical forgiveness, and radical surrender, I call them. Radical forgiveness is just, it starts really out in outer space when you look at the earth and that fuzz, that light mold that you see on it is all of humanity. It's all of everything that we've ever experienced or know of, right? And it it looks like fungus growing on a rock. (laughs) Well, to consider ourselves different or, you know, independent from one another in any way is kind of silly when you think about that. You get a little closer and you can see, see that it's 7 billion people, right, all going about their own business. Um, and every one of us has this this wealth of experience that that forms our psyches, that forms our uh, personalities, and that uh, you know kind of motivates us. If if we haven't um, worked a spiritual path, if we're not able to uh, consider becoming a witness to our own thoughts, like meditation might be able to do for us, which mm-hmm. probably this fellow hasn't had much of a chance to do, um, then, you know, you respond reactively 
to the sensory world. And lots of times it has to do with what's bubbling up from your psyche, what might have been an experience in childhood even, or even the day before you're walking around with that, you know, that same... Um, with that same anger going on from something that may have happened before. So you see a guy in your backyard with a ladder, and it's like, what the heck is he doing out there, you know? And it takes over. So when that happens to us and somebody else is behaving that way, you have to recognize immediately that everybody is going about this the best way they know how, right? Mm -hmm. They're, They're finding their own path back to love somehow. So that's that's what... That's what this guy is doing. I tell a mentor of mine uh, this kind of thing sometimes, and he says, you know, I really appreciate your spirituality, Robert, but some people are just jerks. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of can be true because at times they are. But if you recognize that oftentimes people are projecting uh, their fears and what their reactive mind, what's bubbling up from their psyche, there, and you just happen to be there, and they're projecting it at you, then it enables you to kind of detach yourself in a healthy way so that you can say, okay, maybe there's another way that we can go about this. And you, and you demonstrate radical kindness at the same time, right? And right. when you're going through a little town that's real ugly and you don't know it and you're not comfortable there, keep driving, Right. <laughs> exactly. So you carry this uh, this open-heartedness, this kind of kindness, and this understanding that this fellow is, you know, acting out of his own needs one way or another, and you, you keep moving. You keep putting one foot ahead of the other and, mm-hmm. and uh, respond in a principled way to it, and uh, right. it'll get better. So how do you be, kind of become unstuck with that anger? You know that it requires vigilance, because uh, because you may be able to intellectually know that that angry voice in you is not who you really are, and it's not necessary, mm-hmm. and it's not making the situation any better. But you still may not be able to disengage from it uh, completely. Right. So you have to kind of enter back into that. You got to go back around to that same thing. Meditation is really great for all of this kind of thing because. When you sit in meditation and you come to recognize that stream of thoughts that responds to everything, that reacts to everything, that serial thinking right, that we so often identify ourselves with, then you're able to withdraw from it and to recognize that those reactive thoughts are just the nature of our minds, just the way that brains work, you know. His mm-hmm. brain is working that way and my brain is right. working that I'd right. like to kick his butt. That doesn't mean I'm going to do it. That doesn't mean that it's the right thing to be thinking about. So who am I who's recognizing that, right? I identify with that voice of reason, you know, what the Quakers call the still small voice. And every time I need to, I double back to that. I go back and touch that stone that that says humility. Humility, you know, yeah. Well, what happens if you stay invested in other people's pain and kind of carry that anger with you? Yeah, you carry it with you. Yeah. Uh, You carry it with you, and and, uh, their pain can actually become your own pain, right? Right. They may, in fact, that guy might be fine. He might be watching the ball game by now and having no problem at all. You know, he's he's cracked a cold one and he's eating popcorn. He's watching the Yankees. 
<laughs> and you're <laughs> and down there stewing fine. about it, right? Right, right. Well, how uh, important, though, is it, too? It's also about forgiving yourself, isn't it? It is, and then yeah. And others as well. Yeah, because when we, like, when we start out in the cosmos looking at our planet and realize, you know, how we really are all the same thing, then radical forgiveness is not just about uh, forgiving another person because their experience makes them what they is, what they are. I'm sorry. It also is is about um, allowing ourselves to let go of whatever anger we might be, you know, rehashing from the past, what right. it might be reminding us of, what we may have done wrong, or you know, what our part in it may be. Perhaps we should have mm-hmm. asked permission before we walked through the yard. You know, it's hard to say. Uh, the, the circumstances are hard to predict at times like that, and you have right. to just respond to them as best as you can. Okay. Joe, do you have any questions? Nothing like putting you on the spot? I'm here, right? Right. Do you have any questions well, about that? Well, I do. I, I kind of understand. Now, I, I do want to ask him a question about um, before you talked about your mind and your um, brain as two different entities almost. And which one is you really should listen to? Yeah. Well, you know, when you uh, everybody at some point um, has that experience of saying, "I don't even want to think about it." You know, something comes right. to your mind and it is ghastly. It's something you do not want to think about, and you'd say to yourself, "I don't even want to think about it." And so you don't. You go on to thinking about something else. Well, there's there's kind of a um, a dispatcher in there who's deciding, you know, what what thoughts are going to be acceptable and what aren't and right. how, you know, where we can move to other thoughts. Now, that's the witness. That's what in, in Hindus call it sakshi. It's being a witness to your own thoughts. So in there is your authentic self, your self that is connected to intuitive intelligence, the voice of reason, the still small voice, and that that sequential, judgmental, that serial, uh, the guy that's in your head that you recognize as being a lunatic sometimes is is not necessarily who you are. You don't have to be that. So you identify. I know for me, I I like if it's only ten percent of my mind is sane and calm at any given time. I try to move to that 10%, you know. I try to move myself over there and cozy up to that part of my my internal process, if right. you understand what I mean. Well, Janice, I know you meditate probably just about every day, and you've had an issue with um, a family member lately, too, and you were telling me that, you know, you were able to actually sit outside of it and be an observer. How has meditation helped you? Oh, meditation is one of the best things that you can do for yourself. I know when Robert was talking about having a a fantasy life, you know, when he was younger, I was sick as a child, and I did the same thing. I had an extraordinary rich fantasy life. And I really think that that is kind of like that door into that intuition, Mm -hmm. you know? Right, and um, even when you're when you're learning how to meditate, it you you're not really sure until you really get there, and it really happens. Uh, whether or not you're imagining something, you know, are you really seeing right. something or hearing something? 
but it's uh, it, it's just one of the best things that you can do because once you get there and you get into that place of, of that authentic self where everything is quiet, then that allows you to reach not only upward but inward mm-hmm. and to and to uh, to do the different things that you want to do heal um, heal past present and future uh, right. find out why you're going through what you're going through. And then along with that, I would always recommend journaling because you can ask, uh, ask a question and get an answer that makes no sense whatsoever. And six months down the road, you will read that, and it is right. the answer. And you there know, it is. And there right. it is. And where it took six months for you to get there to where you understood it. Right. So right. meditation and journaling is probably two of the things that I did. And when I was really sick and bedridden, I used to get up in the morning and write for like six or eight hours at a time. Oh my gosh! So I I really did journal. That was a that was a way of communicating with spirit, and I just shut everything out. And that was the only thing I listened to. Wow, wonderful! Well, the thing is, too, though, too, with me, I used to meditate all the time, and I haven't meditated in quite some time. So I think I would have probably recognized my crazy self a little quicker <laughs> if I <would> have, if, <laughs> if I continued to meditate. So. So yeah, well, let's it really helps radical... to keep it up. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, let's move on from radical forgiveness. Joe, thank you so much uh, for being on. You can go ahead and mute the phone. Um, before Thanks, we Joe. get to radical surrendering, let's talk about your second near-death experience. What happened? Yeah, I had come a little unhinged from life, you know. I'd had a difficult mm-hmm. youth, and I, there were people that I really depended on, and they died. And I was I was present at the death at the bedside of my aunt who I really loved and depended on in a lot of ways and that I now recognize as one of my guides basically mm-hmm. and uh, when when she died for apparently no reason it seemed to me I, I got knocked out of my tracks a little bit she had been kind of a foundation for me and I uh, I just lived a I lived a riotous life for a number of years, I ran around with the wrong people and did a lot of the wrong kinds of things and just had kind of a, a self-destructive uh, edge. Now, oddly enough, I was quite successful materially at that time. Right. Um, but just the toxicity of my life uh, delivered me to a place where I basically had a reaction to it all one night and found myself... Uh, moving in and out of consciousness, largely unconscious, on the floor, and I entered into, or the room filled in with what appeared to be a bright white cloud, like you'd see out the out the window of an airplane, or you know, mm-hmm. kind of like a heavenly cloud, right? Right. And in the midst of it, um, this panel opened up and started showing me scenes from my life. And I, I, you know, I was thinking, my gosh, they really do this. Yeah, <laughs> life review. You know. Yeah, really. <laughs> and I didn't feel alone. I never felt alone in any of these right, experiences. Right. But I never turned and faced whatever the personage was there. I recognize right. this now as being a guide or a guardian angel of mine. But these these scenes that I was shown, and you know, this is, can be very much like uh, like the interplay between Joe and the the neighbor. Uh, mm-hmm. They were the kinds of scenes where uh, they weren't the best of. These were not you know, like me at my best. They weren't my golden moments. They right. were they were more seminal, sort of pivotal moments 
that may have held a lesson in them that I hadn't recognized, you know. Mm-hmm. And it taught me that in in some of these very small moments, there is kind of an eternity present, like, you know, we're always living in the eternal moment. Our outlook on life doesn't ever change very much, regardless of how old we are. It's always this moment. And within that moment, there's the... Uh, there's this um, this potential, you know, uh, that's inside of it, inside of every little moment. Right. It may not seem like a big thing, but there, kind of everything can be there. You'll notice sometimes when you're when you're not having a good time somewhere, you're waiting for somebody or something, and they're late. Your reactive mind will start complaining about how they're late. Now you never do that mm-hmm. or anything, and then something maybe it's like a kid playing or something or. It's a conversation that you pick up a piece of and will stop you and you'll enter into it and suddenly you'll forget all about where you are or what you were complaining about. And you'll enter into that moment and it is of such richness and such meaning to you that the next thing you know who you're waiting for is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, I've been here for five there minutes, what are you doing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's wow. what I learned in that second uh, in that second experience is that these sort of discrete panels of these moments of our life mm-hmm. are full of richness and lessons that right. if we're present for we get so much more out of life than if we're just skating over it worrying about our next appointment, you know. Right. Yeah. Like you said in your book, moments matter. They connect to a profound invisible system. And that's Absolutely, right. Why not yeah. use it some, somehow using that moment rather than being upset, finding something to be grateful for in that moment? Right. It's all amazing. I mean, the entire thing is miraculous. You know, the description right. I gave you of the planet from outer space. We're on a planet right, in outer right. space. It's, you know. Oh, absolutely. And it's whipping around <laughs> right. and it's going around the sun and it's like, and we're not falling off. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's really wild, right. the whole thing. So it's very well, magical. Let's move on to the, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, let's move on to the third key. We're going to use uh, Janice as our lovely guinea pig, and this is uh, radical surrendering. So why don't you give us, Janice, a quick synopsis of kind of your earlier years. You kind of touched on it a few minutes ago. Yeah, well, I was really sick from the time I was seven. And then uh, when I was 10, and it wasn't diagnosed until later, but I had Crohn's disease. And a lot of immunologists believe that uh, it's an allergy that goes inward. And now they the belief that it's inflammation that causes the disease. But I spent a tremendous time alone. And, you know, you're talking about having those moments. I remember I was in the hospital with IVs going in both arms. And this goes back a while. And Mao Tung was celebrating his 80th birthday. And I'm watching television, and he's jumping in the Yangtze River, you know, swimming across it with the crowds are cheering him on, you know, and how great that he's 80 and he's still alive. And I remember getting so incredibly mad at God, you know. It's like here's this mass murder, this mass serial killer. God only knows how many people he tortured and killed. And here was little old me lying in a hospital room. You know, and 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 I was just overwhelmed by the unfairness of it. You know, 
it was just it was just really amazing to mm-hmm. me it was mm-hmm. it was a it was a very a very good learning learning experience and so mm-hmm. um i had a lot of learning to do after that that there was you know a lot more in in it was a lot more involved in the process but that was that was probably the first time i i really got angry and there was many many times mm-hmm. i got angry at god and it's only been, I would say, maybe in the last four or five years as I've really, really not so much grown but expanded into different places and dimensions that I've kind of come to an understanding that whether I have uh, understand it or not, it was a process that helped me grow and get where I was. And right now I'm in a very good place. Right. That's so beautiful. there seems to be so many people that have gone through something similar or they are going through that, whether it's cancer, whether it's heart disease, whether they're, you know, I have a good friend of mine who used to run marathons. Now he have, has ALS. You know, how do you tell someone in that moment of just, you know, sheer just hopelessness just to surrender? Right, yeah. Well, and everybody experiences what seems totally unjustified, what seems completely unfair mm-hmm. about life. <clears throat> and, you know, you just have to realize that this is one's karma, that one is one is having to go through that to get them to the other side of it. You know, we've got to go through these things to get to the other side of them. Um, what the exact explanation for it is, I'm not sure, but the the idea of surrender is um is not so much in terms of capitulation or like a derisive uh, attitude of surrender where you're giving up or it's just tough you know uh it, it, it's more of a blissful kind of uh, concept of surrender you know the 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 things that happen naturally like that to people i can only imagine are karma the, the things that uh, happen in the world, like Mao Zedong uh, going swimming on his 80th birthday, yeah. <laughs> are, are these are the machinations of the human ego. You know, it's why we got kicked out of the garden. It's this is the problem with the world is that people are identifying too much materially with who they're supposed to be and and uh, what powers they have, right? Um, but underlying all of that. If you if you think about a, a wildflower growing through the cracks in the in the asphalt, there is this energy that is positive and growing, and there it's present underneath everything. It's it's benevolent. It's the God force. It's creativity. It's there whether you have a disease or not. You can experience it, and it can change your experience of the disease. If you uh, if you're in in the, um, the flow of things, you can um, um, overcome pain, physical pain, even by uh, being able to enter into it. Um, when things are going really well, naturally you're surrendered uh, because everything's going great, and you right. know that you know that there's this kind of force that seems to be carrying you because you're grooving with it, you're moving with it, right? It's easy, it's yeah. good. That force is present even at the hard times. It's just that at the hard times then, your will and your intellect, your ego, they all kick in. Why me? There must be something I can do about this. There must be some way I can control this. Well, 
Sometimes there isn't any way that you can control it. The only control that you can have is to surrender to that force that underlies everything that's going to carry you from this place to the next. Now, I can speak as somebody who had the experience of quote-unquote dying. Now, obviously, I didn't really die because I'm talking to you, right? But, but I can tell you that consciousness does not stop with this life. So the idea that you're being obliterated or that you're losing out of everything is not true. So it gets better in many ways. So you don't have to fear uh, that kind of obliteration. It's just the obliteration of the ego that needs to happen. That's the death that really needs to happen to allow us to surrender to this positive life force that can carry us. You know, And then we can tap into it, and it really doesn't matter what our circumstances are. There's fulfillment. Uh, there's yes. joy in it. Absolutely. I hope that made sense. It, it well, made perfect sense. sense. Yeah. I think Janice, I mean that's what you did that's what you did do. You finally did surrender to it and you look at this amazing, you know, life that you have now and your healing capabilities and everything that you know, you will be doing in the next, you know, ten, twenty, thirty years. It's amazing. Yeah. Right, and there's the expression and the evolution. Right? Yeah. Right. Let me ask a question though. Mm-hmm. Is it when you're talking about like surrendering and these different steps that you know you have to go through? Is it easier to to be young, or is it easier to be older or wiser? Is there some kind of limit to it, or is it just a spiritual awareness that that you come across? Well, I, th- I think that when you're younger, you've just got so much sort of nascent psychic energy on the boil that it's rather difficult to realize some of these things, you know. When you've right. uh, been knocked around by life a little bit more <clears throat> and you've you've been had the big questions shoved in your face a few times and had to uh, kind of pass through that dark night of the soul uh, once or twice, yeah. I think it definitely becomes uh, uh, something that's more available uh, to you. That's the beauty of of aging. Aging is a is a beautiful experience. I think. Well, I, of course, I'm glad to be alive. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm glad to be aging. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, well, let's let's talk about what hopefully will be your last near death experience. Uh, how is it different than the other the other two? Um, yeah, I hope it's the last. <laughs> I'm not afraid to die. You know, well, that's I start out with I that Woody. I can't believe album. you came back by the third time. I would tell them I'm not going back. I'm back. That's what happened. That's what happened. Yeah, I, you know, I opened the book with that quote from Woody Allen. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Right. right. I had to be there three times when it happened, and the third time uh, um, I was. Uh, I was trying to do something in my life. I was willfully trying to control my life. I was trying to make it better. I was going to shape up. I was going to get married, and I was going to lead an upstanding life and turn things around kind of in my mind. Right. And uh, I moved to Arizona to get married, and I was at a Super Bowl thing. And when I left that, I got on the phone to my fiance, and I was attacked by a skinhead, you know, those the big oh uh, my God. kids, right, uh, right. neo-Nazi tendencies and the like. Yeah. And I was kind of, I was dressed like New York City, and I was in a small town in Arizona, and this kid attacked me. 
And he kind of attacked me twice. I settled him down once, but he came back and attacked me again. And I made a terrible, terrible mistake, and that is that I used violence. I reacted violently. Mm -hmm. I punched the kid and knocked him out and made good my escape, but didn't realize that there was a van full of skinheads who watched (laughs) the whole thing. And they hit, like, hit me in the back of the head without me even seeing it coming with like a tire oh. iron or something. And then apparently, according to the police report, they stomped and kicked me for like about an hour. Oh, wow. So I was a real mess. And, of course, it taught me about trying to resolve things with violence. <laughs> Doesn't so work. Do that again. Um, it was my least favorite uh, death. And, and actually the experience of, you know, the quote-unquote the afterlife was uh, was likewise not as pleasant. I, th- I think if you wear out your welcome, I had kind of done that because it was not as light and easy an experience at all. I was in a kind of a darker place. In that sense, it was a slightly more hellish kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was surrounded by benevolent uh, spirits who forced me back into this life, and I did not want to go. I went kicking and screaming, Janice. Yes, right. I, I, really I bet I'm sure you did. Not again. <laughs> it's like, let me stay here because I know this can be really nice, and over there right. is not so good. Yes. But I was kind of you know, assured that I had not gone about this the right way and that there were things I needed to do, and they just pushed me right back into life, and I opened my eyes on the sidewalk and looked up, at an emergency medical worker, and he looked down at me and said, he's back. (laughs) 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 And that was about four hours or so in regular time. But I was in very bad shape, and uh, I I still didn't really completely take these lessons that I'd had to heart, you know. Mm -hmm. I still had to kind of reach a point in my life where, everything that I had expected of my material life had to fall apart. And yeah. right. that's when I attained the real humility that that gives us that moment of clarity and the ability to experience kind of a, you know, a, a transformational moment, as it were. Mm-hmm. And I began um, a, a spiritual path and reading and studying and doing service and meditating and stuff. And, yeah. and after uh, some years of that, it, it led to uh, to me being inspired in meditation to write this book. Oh, I'm so glad you did. Absolutely. Well, you know, one thing that was very profound that you wrote about was that, it, you know, even took years later for you to realize this, but that you said that someone had been with you every single time when this happened. Yeah. Who was it? Yeah. That's, well, that's kind of a scary aspect of it, isn't it? You know, that we're never mm-hmm. alone. Right. Right. <clears throat> for a lot of people that's the game breaker. <laughs> they don't, you know, right. they don't want to think about that. I'm never alone, holy cow. But there's nothing that you can do that hasn't been done and nothing that they can watch you do that they don't know so implicitly that there is no problem with it. You're being right. human, you know, and for me I recognize that that um my aunt who I loved so much whose mm-hmm. voice I had actually heard at times in my life speaking to me, but I kind of thought, she's not alive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that she's been with me all along, that she's with me all the time, and I have another uh, personage that I 
kind of recognize as having been whoever shepherded me from the car crash scene, whoever showed me those scenes, and who was present at putting me back into this life, you know, I mean, ostensibly so I can tell the story, I guess. Right. That um, uh, that spirit, that guide is is with me, and I communicate with her. I see it as a divine, like the feminine divine kind of. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I communicate with her through the energy of my heart and in meditation, you know. And um, right. I'm never alone. I don't always do things I want them to see, but <laughs> those are the breaks. But you know, right? someone's watching over you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what, though, you get to the point where you realize that the love that they have for you right. is unconditional. It took me a long time to learn that because, you know, you're like, you're taking a shower or you're going to the bathroom, you know, and you're thinking, you know, it's just odd. Yeah. <laughs> it, and, it is. That's and then really you realize is, that, that they love you in a way that you can't even imagine. It is so unconditional. And they and I think all they they see your soul and I'm I'm not even sure sometimes they when they look at us they see even our body right. because it's it's so unimportant right. to them. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's well, Gina, you know, something I that I would really something I'd really like to do is to help people imagine that kind of love. That's why yeah, I don't right. go into a lot of detail about the afterlife scenarios and stuff because mm-hmm. I want to bring it back to this life, the les- lessons that I learned. Right. And that love. kind of love and having it work in your life is available to us here. And yes. so this can become like heaven. Right. Well, Robert, we are out of time. Can you please tell everyone where they can purchase your book as well as the URL for your blog? Well, they can get it at all the you know the, the big places online and stuff, but I always recommend that they shop at their local bookstore and help keep them in business if possible. They're such a great resource. Yes. Um, I have a blog, robertkopecky.blogspot.com, where I write uh, a lot often, and I'm switching things up quite a bit, and a Facebook author page, and I'm on Twitter at robertkopecky3. So uh, you can join me in any of those places. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been such a pleasure. This is such a phenomenal book, How to Survive Life and Death, A Guide for Happiness in This World and Beyond. Robert Kopecki, have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mary and Janet. Oh, and thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Okay, Janice, we just have a couple minutes left, so let's go into Illuminations. Okay. Illuminations. Illuminations. It's time for Illuminations. Food for your mind. Okay, Janice, what do you have for us? Okay, this is by Henry Word Beecher. Our gifts and attainments are not only to be light and warmth in our own dwellings, but are to shine through the window into the dark night to guide and cheer bewildered travelers on the road. Ooh, beautiful. Mine, of course, is from Robert Kopecky, and this is the metaphor behind Peter Pan. It is a story about the presence of the ever-youthful eternal spirit that is always right outside the window of who I'm supposed to be, a spirit that can teach us how to fly to an eternal realm and that loves to harass fearful, willful, vain, exploitative pirate that can unconsciously ego-driven, mystified life and death can turn us into if we get stuck in the amber of our cultural delusions. Never quite looked at that the same way before. 
No, not at all. Thank you, Janice, for another wonderful, wonderful show, and thank you to our listeners for joining us once again. Our next show will be on Wednesday, August 13th at 7 p.m. Central. And remember, please email us and share your Heavenly Encounters at heavenlyencountersradio at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at heavenlyradio1. That's the number one. Until our next show, be inspired, be empowered, and be well. You've been listening to Heavenly Encounters, a journey to the other side. Good night. Good night. Good night, Joe.